So tonight we're going to draw our text uh, from the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. Now for those of you that have not been around FPC, I want to explain something to you that we do here that is such a blessing to me and to many others. We have uh, a program here at FPC that we call Focus 52. Focus 52 is just exactly what it says. We take one chapter and one verse out of that chapter every week. And my mother, Sister Judy St. Clair, writes most, uh, all the devotionals that we have. Every Sunday, there will be a brand new Focus 52 devotional that is released. Uh, you can go to our website, or there'll, there'll usually be paper copies and Unless somebody gets them all at the Welcome Center in the lobby. But every Sunday, you can go to our website, and it is updated. There's a link down at the bottom left uh, of the website for members, and you'll see Focus 52. If you'll pull that Focus 52 up, you'll see the chapter and the focus verse, and then there's a devotion, an overview, and there is also a prayer focus. And so every single week, we are in the same chapter uh, the same memory verse, the same thought process, and then nine times out of ten, and sometimes a little bit better than that, but most of the time when we come together on Wednesday night, unless we have a guest speaker or something of that nature, we'll be teaching on Focus 52. So you can feel like you're prophetic when you get here, and I give my chapter that I'm going to read. You can look at somebody and say, I know where he's going tonight. And they'll think you're real spiritual, but it's really just because you've been in Focus 52 with us. <laughs> Praise God. So you, you probably had a good idea, if you've been with us this week, that I was going to go to 1 Kings chapter 21. Amen. And I'm going to read to you here. Is everybody doing all right tonight? Are you glad to be in the house? Yeah. Amen. Y'all got a few minutes to have church tonight? Yeah. Praise the Lord. I do too. I'm ready. So we're just going to begin at verse number 1, and we'll work down through this chapter very quickly uh, and then I'll let you be seated unless you need to be seated now and we understand that it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel but where was it it was right up next to the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria too close for comfort and Ahab spake unto Naboth and he said Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs. Because I'm sure King Ahab didn't have enough land for a garden of herbs, right? Because, here's the real reason, it is near unto my house. And here comes the empty promise. I'll give you a better vineyard than the one you've got. Or if it seems good to you. I'll pay you for it. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. This really kind of preaches itself. That was a loud amen, Sister Ramsey. I don't know if I should stop preaching now or not. <laughs> She's helping me. <laughs> Ahab came into his house heavy. Somebody say he was pouting. He had that thumb in his mouth and his bottom lip was 
down. He was displeased because Naboth said, you can't have my vineyard. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father. And so he laid down on his bed and he turned away his face and would eat no bread. That sounds more like a six-year-old kid than it does a king, don't it? But I want you to understand it's because there is a spirit behind Ahab. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad? You know there's something wrong with a man when he ain't eating. Somebody say amen or oh me. That was a good chance for the women to nod and the guys to just be quiet. He said to her, well, I went to Naboth the Jezreelite and I said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered and he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you forgot who you are. You govern the kingdom of Israel. Get up and eat some bread and let your heart be merry. I will give you, I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. There's a lot of focus on Jezebel, a lot. Over the last probably five or six years, every charismatic author wrote something about Jezebel. And everybody thinks they've identified the spirit of Jezebel. And there's some good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong. There's some good teaching on the spirit of Jezebel. But there's something that you really do need to know about Jezebel is that Jezebel is not just the woman that we're reading in this story. For in your Bible, all the way over in the book of Revelation, it is said that the spirit of Jezebel is still working in the church. It's a hard spirit to kill, but we're going to deal with it tonight. And I'm going to talk to you from a title that I believe the Lord's going to help us with tonight. And I feel this is going to be really important. Years ago, I preached a sermon from this title, and I mean many, many years ago. I remember specifically preaching at an Ohio camp meeting, and God did some mighty miracles there that week. But I want to preach to you tonight from this title, This Vineyard is Not for Sale. Come on, somebody. I feel a little Sunday night lingering in here right now. This vineyard is not for sale. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Church family, I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. Before the coming of the Lord, we're going to have to be bold as lions, as children of God. I don't say this tonight to sound disrespectful to anybody, but I'm just telling you right now. That the Lord is not coming back for a limp-wristed, jelly-back church. He's not doing it. He's coming back for a church that's squared up its shoulders. That has made itself ready. We read in the end time studies. If you understand 
the church that the Lord's coming back for, people wonder why in the world we, we still live the way we live and act the way we act and do the things we do. The Lord said that he was coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Think about it. Without spot or wrinkle. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Another word that can be used there in that context is blemish. Okay? I want to ask you all a sincere question, and I want you to search your heart for this and understand that there really is more to this than just a church telling you this is what we teach and what we believe. I'm going to ask you a question. How big does a blemish have to be before it's considered to be a blemish? And how big does a spot have to be before it's considered a spot? How wrinkled does a garment have to be before it's considered to be a wrinkled garment? And then we look at the modern day church that's trying to lay down more and more. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, it's like, well, that's not necessary and that's not necessary. And some will even say things like this. It's just not a hill that's worth dying on. Have you heard it? So my question to you is, is if this hill is not worth dying on, then what hill is? If this apostolic truth and way of holiness and separation from the world is not a hill that's worth dying on, then at what point are we actually going to find a hill that we say, well, maybe that one is? Because I've seen people through my lifetime in ministry that have said, well, that part isn't necessary anymore, so we don't have to do that. But it's not very long till you realize that the spirit of compromise is never satisfied. And if you'll start vacillating on doctrine and start moving side to side just a little bit, start moving on things that you used to hold true and near and dear to your heart, I make you a promise that I've seen men who have started moving on treasures that we used to hold near to our heart, but it wasn't long until baptism was no longer essential, and it wasn't long until the infilling of the Holy Ghost was no longer essential, and it always comes with a spirit that says, if you do it, you'll grow. The spirit of compromise always comes in a way that says you're being restricted. You're being held back. You don't know what you're missing. You know what? I, I don't know how else to give an answer, but this is, this is the only answer I know how to give people. If you think I'm missing out on anything by living this life, then you don't know how good I've got it. I, I'm just being honest with you tonight. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything in this whole world. I just don't. I love being who I am. I love worshiping who I worship. I love being an apostolic one God Jesus name apostolic Pentecostal I love it I am beyond grateful that when I start looking for the doctrine that we teach and preach we don't have to look for it in creeds and ideas of men you can pick up this word right here and you can find exactly what we want to believe if you want to know what this church believes it's written in this book we don't believe that there's more than one way into the kingdom why don't you believe that? Because Jesus said, I am the door. And if a man comes in any other way, he is a thief and he is a robber. Why do you believe that the Holy Ghost in filling and spirit baptism and water baptism 
are important because Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, when they started talking about Jesus to the people that were in the streets for that feast of Shavuos, they said, well, men and brethren, we're pricked in our hearts. What shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name, somebody shout the name, of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's why we believe it. So, there is a process that I want to walk you through tonight. I've preached this principle for many years. And believe it or not, I found this little treasure tucked away in a book that was written by uh, a Navy SEAL. And the principle is this, is that compromise never manifests immediately, nor does it manifest publicly at first. And so the principle, and I'll hurry through it and get to where I'm going, the principle was that this man said, when they were doing special training in San Diego, he said it was a very, very difficult training. Obviously, these are our premier uh, soldiers uh, in the United States of America, very, very sharp, sharp people, very strong people, strong-willed, not just strong physically, but strong-willed. You have to have a very strong will to uh, be in special forces and special operations. And he said that on the beach, there where they were training, that there was set up a golden bell. And he said, all you had to do to get out of the misery and the pain of your special training that you were going through any time. Now you're talking about get them up at 2 o'clock in the morning, take them out a couple miles out in, into the ocean in the middle of the night, drop them off, make them swim in, then get out and crawl on their bellies in the sand and do push I'm talking about insane stuff, crazy stuff. And he said, they're told all you have to do to get out of this misery is to just walk up on the beach and ring the bell. No questions asked. If you're done, you're done. But the man said, the truth of the matter is, before you ever ring the bell with your hand, you'll ring the bell in your head. And the spirit of compromise will work on your spirit. It'll work on your mind. It'll keep you up at night. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't have to be about doctrine. Jesus said it like this. He said, a man that's double-minded is absolutely unstable in all of his ways. How many of you believe that's true? He said a double-minded man is unstable. It's, that word is fickle. He's fickle. He's constantly back and forth. It's like whatever is proper for today, that's what I'll do. And this is truly the conundrum that's dealt with in the hearts and lives of so many people as they try to live for God, there's always that pull to go back in the other direction until finally they begin to focus on that. At first, they're so excited that God has brought them out, that God has delivered them, that God has set them free. And after a little while, it's amazing how it works that the very thing God brought them out of, they begin to think again that that's their friend. Well, how do you know that? Well, let's just go back to some early things. Let's go back to the Exodus. 
Now, folks, I'm in Exodus right now. It's the beginning of the year. I've started cycle reading again, and I'm in Exodus right now. I was just reading this week the abuse, how they were beaten and broken. I was just reading uh, uh, earlier in the week how that Pharaoh was upset about the things Moses was saying. And so he had his taskmasters bring them together with no straw. Have you read that part? He said, I'm expecting you to work a miracle here. I'm not even going to give you the tools you need to make it happen, but make it happen. And when they didn't make it happen, they were beaten. But they got out in a wilderness, and as soon as they came to the first trouble, Red Sea. Now, think about this, folks. The night before they left, God protected every one of their homes. When death passed through the land. He, he was true to his word. The man of God said, put blood on your house, get, get blood on your home, doorpost, lintel, get full of the lamb in the house. Be prepared. And when death passed through, did it not, did the Lord not pass right on by the houses that had the blood? So did God lie? Did, God, did he steal from them? Did, did God cheat from them? Yet they get to the Red Sea and now they're facing trouble. And they said, what'd you do, you big dummy? Did you bring us out here to die? They said, what's the problem? There wasn't enough graves in Egypt. So you brought us out here to let us die and bury us out here in the wilderness, Moses? What's wrong with you? And so God uses Moses and he stretches his rod out over the water and the water parts. And you've read it and seen it and heard it. And uh, uh, what's his name? Charleston's told you the story. I mean, you heard it. Lord parts the Red Sea. They come through the Red Sea. Get up on the other side of the Red Sea. And the Bible said, wouldn't you know it? As soon as they got to the other side, that Pharaoh and his army and all that had washed up, uh, been, been washed under the water, it said they, they started washing up onto the shore. The Lord was showing them everything that's been pursuing you. He said, I buried it in the water behind you. Horse. And rider. And then I'm letting it wash up here to show you. I didn't forsake you. I didn't neglect you. You're now standing on the other side of what I just brought you through. Just last night, you were on the other side of that saying, How are you going to do this? Let's go back. Now you're on the other side of the miracle. And read your Bible. It said in 72 hours. They came to a place of thirst. And when they knelt down to get a drink by the little pond that was there, the little spring that was there, it was bitter. It was called Mara, a place of bitterness. And what did they do? They said, what would you do, bring us out here to kill us or something? Now, let me back you up three days, hoss. Three days ago, you and Miriam and all the women were dancing on the shores of the Red Sea. Because God had just brought you through. And about four days ago, God brought you out of Egypt and took care of you when death came through the land. And before that, there were ten plagues and God took care of you. 
And after a while, you got to start asking your question, how good does God have to be to us before we realize he's good? I mean, how faithful can God be before we're like, yeah, he's faithful. You understand where I'm coming from tonight? Like at what point do we just saddle ourselves in and say, okay, God, we have learned we don't control anything. Nothing. We don't know nothing. We absolutely have no clue what tomorrow's going to do. We don't have a clue. We don't know if tomorrow's going to be a Red Sea. We don't know if tomorrow's going to be Mara. We don't know if tomorrow's going to be Walls of Jericho. We don't know if it's going to be a Jordan River. We really don't know. But what we do know is right now where we're standing, there's a pillar of fire by night. There's a pillar of cloud by day. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Just outside that tent door, there is provision for us every day. How good does God have to be before he's good? That spirit of compromise is so difficult. It's so, it's so difficult to overcome because it's the nature of the beast. Now, I know that you've probably seen some things out there, especially if you get out there on YouTube. I'm telling y'all, I've seen some stuff on YouTube lately. I, it, it blows my mind. I'm like, people pay tithe and offering to your church? I'm like, I've sat and listened to some of these cats preach that I'm like, look, all I'm trying to get people to do is just be converted and live holy lives and be godly people, be good disciples, have a hard time talking some folk into it. Now, how in the world did you talk them into that? Right. <laughs> I mean, good grief. I've never seen the scripture so twisted and manipulated and messed up and people are like, oh, yeah, man, he's a prophet of God. I don't know. You better be careful. Some funky junk going on around here. I've seen some stuff out there. I've seen, I've seen some pretty wild stuff. But this is, this is what I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you finally get yourself to the place that you've made up your mind. Now this is key. You've made up your mind that you're going to finish. It don't matter what anybody comes preaching. It don't matter what anybody comes saying. It doesn't matter if somebody says, oh, I found an easier way. Listen, here's what I found out. When somebody finds an easier way, you usually don't want that way. Somebody comes along and said, I figured out an easier way for you to pay your house payment. Oh, really? Watch those guys on YouTube for about six months because in about six months, they're going to have to turn the keys of their house in. Here's a story that I'm not sure Americans want to hear. But sometimes in life, you just got to pay your bills. I hope that brother's watching tonight. You can be dismissed. Look. Everybody okay? I, I love to laugh. I love to have a good time. I'm going to tell you all the truth. There's been a lot of good folks that have had to get up in the morning and go to work when they didn't want to. 
Please don't be running the aisles right now on that, okay? I mean, I can see you're gripping the pew to keep from running right now. There's been people that had to get up before they wanted to get up because they stayed up late. Had to get up and go to work. Make enough money to pay their bills. Am I telling the truth? And sure enough, somebody's going to come along and make them a promise. I know you don't believe this because y'all are perfect, but I'm telling you, I've seen it happen time after time. Thank God never in this church, only the other churches I pastored. <laughs> Some dude will come along and tell a woman, he's not providing good enough for you, I'll give you a better life. Some woman come along and say, I'll give you something better than she's been giving you. She don't keep a house good enough. Look, 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 look. Here's the truth. People that are the toughest, I learned this a long time ago. People that are the toughest people in the gym don't have to tell you how tough they are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The toughest, you don't ever hear the toughest guy say, well, I'm the baddest man in this room. You don't ever hear that. And you don't ever, you don't ever, ever get what's promised to you with a spirit of compromise. Whether it's compromise in your faith, compromise in your fidelity, compromise in your family, compromise with your scruples. Hey, I'm telling you, church, you only get one shot, one chance in this life of having any kind of integrity. That's it. Now, I'm not saying God don't clean you up and fix you up. I'm talking about when you get yourself established, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. You look at some people and you think, well, if they fell off the boat. Those people come back in, they try to pray through, and all them Holy Ghost filled people stand back there and be like, mm hmm. Come on now. Come on, I know what they did. I know what they were doing three months ago. You see what I'm saying? I mean, but the scriptures say that even a just man falls seven times and rises up again. But you only get one shot at integrity. And there's some things that you should not be willing to make a trade for to put out there and say, oh, they offered me a better vineyard. How many times have we made decisions and moved to different jobs, had a good one, but moved to a different one because it said, I'll pay you better. Now, I'm not going to give you the same thing that they're giving you right now, but in three months, it's going to be better. It just got kind of quiet. It's like the car we got is not the best one, so let's get another one. It's like the house. we got to get a bigger one. So we got to work more hours to get the bigger house and work more hours. And then you miss more church to get the better house because you got to work more hours. And you got a better car, but you never bring it to church because you can't get here and you're tired. and you're. Whew. Man, I'm preaching real good. I'm going to say amen to myself. But that voice comes along. And says, hey, I got a deal for you. If you give me what you've got, I'll give you something better. Here's a question for you. Y'all ready? All you note takers. Mamma Bingham. Papa would say, this one's a pen clicker. Here's my question. I hope y'all don't pass out from the glory of what I'm about to say. 
If you've already got a vineyard that's better than mine, why do you want mine? If you'd have said no, it wouldn't have been pretty. <laughs> the trade-off don't ever make sense. Give me more Bible, Pastor. Okay. I'm so glad you asked for it. Jesus is fasting 40 days. Goes out into the wilderness, and I'm not going to walk you through the whole temptation, but I want to show you the nature of the beast. He says, if you'll bow down, Lucifer said, you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Already got him. Why would you offer me something that I've already got access? Like, the trade just don't make sense. You see what I'm saying? It don't make sense. So when Ahab came to Naboth and he said, look, I want your vineyard. And he thought maybe that intimidation would work. He said, you know, I am the king and you are right by my palace. And so I can make your life miserable or you can give me the vineyard. And he must have sensed the trepidation when Ahab was kind of like raising his eyebrow because he said, no, 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 I, I, I want to give you something for it. I'm going to give you a better vineyard than, than yours, but I want yours. Understand me when I tell you that he didn't want the vineyard, he wanted the ground. Oh, man. I think I need to back up here and preach that just a little bit. He didn't want it because of the grapes and the fruit that it was producing. He wanted it because it was territory that was close to his. I hope you all know where I'm at, where I'm going with this right here. I, I feel it. He wants to take things from us, not just because of the fruit that they bear, but because he wants to take the territory that we've gained. He said, look, if you don't want my vineyard, if you don't want my vineyard, then I'll give you money for it. And he, Naboth said, I don't think you understand the value. You just go ahead and get it in your heart, Ahab. This is more valuable than any vineyard you've got. It's more valuable than any money you've got. And the reason is because it's my inheritance. So I'm going to break it down for you like this and just teach this to you for a few minutes. There was a powerful principle released in this story when he said, God forbid me that I would sell the inheritance of my father's. Now, this is something that keeps your pastor's nose to the grindstone. But I heard tell when I was a boy that if you're ever hunting on property that you're not real familiar with and you come to a fence, there's a couple of things you need to know before you start moving the fence. Number one, it said you need to know who does it belong to? And number two, you need to know why was it put there? That's deep, ain't it? Whose fence is it? And why did they put it there? Because what you're going to find out with the answer to the first question is, is it's not your fence. 
Am I helping you yet? And if it's not your offense, then you don't have a right to move it. And what Ahab was saying, or uh, what Naboth was saying to Ahab is, I know my name's on the deed, but this is not my vineyard. I didn't pay the price for this. Somebody else before me paid the price for this. Somebody else signed their name in blood for this. Somebody else has dripped their blood into the soil of this vineyard. And I want you to know, Ahab, there is no room for compromise in this vineyard. This vineyard is not sale. Now we've come to a place in the 21st century where folks are willing to negotiate based on the outcome. And so when you look at the story from a 60,000 foot view, you have to start asking yourself the question, well, was it really worth it, Naboth, because they ended up killing you? You know what? There's been a lot of people asking that question this year. You've heard me talk about this a lot through the years, but boy, has it ever rang true in this past year. Got all kinds of people that want to be some kind of apocalyptic heroes. Heard them all my life. Ooh, when that mark comes around, I ain't taking no mark of the beast. Oh, they put a gun to my head. I'll never deny Jesus. Yeah, I'll absolutely give my life. Yeah, they put me on a guillotine. My head, they can take my head off. I'm not denying the Lord. And what we're finding out, the further we go, is we've got a bunch of people who swear they'll die for something that they won't live for right now. Woo! That's some heavy teaching right there. It's so funny to me how people respond. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like they think the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the Lord's just going to start shining a spotlight. Look at this precious little servant right here. We're going to be paraded in front of the whole, look at, look at this little honey right here, just being faithful, faithful, faithful. No, 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 no. That conversation doesn't happen until it's over and you're at the gate. That conversation does not happen until judgment. And he's either going to say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of iniquity. So you got to make up in your mind which one's it going to be. And the truth is, the world wants you to believe, especially the religious world, they want you to believe there's an in-between. And you got to get your mind made up tonight. I didn't start out this thing just so I could be a starter. I started because I plan on finishing the race. And while I'm running, I don't plan on selling vineyards. I don't plan on moving fences. I don't plan on giving in and I don't plan on giving up. I'm going to finish what I started. So, let's talk about how all this is manipulated. How does all this happen? It happens by a Jezebel spirit. And I told you very plainly, I'm not going to go crazy, crazy deep into this, but I told you that Jezebel gets all the attention. Because Jezebel was a wicked woman. Her father 
was certainly an evil man. He was a Baal worshiper, and she was doing what she learned to do at home. And so Ahab's father and Jezebel's father got together, and they're trying to make peace between two nations. And her father said, well, I'll tell you what I think I'll, I'll do is I'll offer you my daughter Jezebel, and she can be married to your son Ahab, and they'll give us grandkids, and we can have Christmas dinner together. This is how compromise works. But what people don't understand is that the union between these two will produce a divided child. Your grandkids are going to have to decide whether they want to serve Baal or they want to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, Lord. I don't think you can preach this enough to young people. I, I just, I really don't think you can. I, I've never seen anything like people wanting to rush into things. It's like, what if I don't get married before Jesus comes? You'll, you'll be happy. You're going to make it to heaven. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I know this is not the, the, the subculture of Pentecost. I know this is not the subculture of Pentecost. But the truth is, you can be saved even if you don't get married. Now, I'm going to tell you something that may shock you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, all down through verse 15 especially, the unbeliever depart, let him depart. You know why Paul knew so much about that? Go, go read it for yourself. Paul was... In the spiritual elite, so to speak, of the Jews. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was part of what we called like the Sanhedrin. Paul was very connected. And one of the rules of that is that you had to be married. And so Paul was married. And when he came into his Christian walk with the Lord... His wife, that was a Jew, did not want to walk that path with him. And she left. And so that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, I wouldn't you just be like me. But if you feel like you have to, go get it because you're better off to marry than to burn. But the principle that you've got to understand is that you cannot be so rushed to find true love that you enter yourself into some kind of relationship that's going to end up costing you what's most valuable. I've, I've never been in, into long engagements, ever. I'm uncomfortable with long engagements. I think they're dangerous. I think if you get engaged for a long time, you get familiar, too familiar, and familiarity breeds contempt. I think that's what dating's for. Somebody asked me, they said, how are we going to fix the problem with so many divorces in the church? I said, the problem is we're trying to fix it with post-marital counseling. And it needs to be fixed on the other side to say, if you're going to get married, make the choice that's godly. We'll never fix a broken problem by trying to fix it after it's broken. We've got to start working on young people right now and say, you better get more desperate for God than you are for a spouse. 
Because you're going to cause yourself to enter into some mutual obligations with people that you don't want to enter into. And what you got to understand, Ahab, before you say I do to that woman, is that everything her daddy married himself to, Jezebel has married herself to, and now she's bringing that to your house. Listen to me when I tell you that the picture that's painted in the beginning is always more beautiful than the end of the story. I think if Disney ever did an injustice, they've done a lot. But if they ever did one injustice, it was that this beauty and the beast thing, this story. She has to fall in love with the beast to make him handsome. Right? That's what I, am I right? Does that is that the story? So she has to kiss the beast and he gets handsome? That's backwards. When you get married, you just think he's handsome. And then you kiss him. And you wake up and find out he's a beast. He is so perfect. Now his breast stinks every morning, just like yours. How about his hair? Oh my gosh, it's probably gonna fall out. My mom, I mean, I don't know who'll watch this video, but my mom told me one time when I was a kid, she said, Son, when I walk around these conferences, she said, I am so thankful that I didn't end up with some of these guys that I thought were so good looking. And I'm like, me too, Mom, because if I'd have been a product of that, I'd be bald. I, Dad, I'm thankful for your hair. <laughs> I, man, I'm thankful. Praise God. I got them St. Clair's somehow, got that St. Clair hair going. I'm glad about it. But I'm afraid the subculture of the church world has led us to believe that we're not complete until we hitch ourselves. And in doing that, the problem with this picture is that the pressure came from the parents of Ahab. I don't want to get my kids out of my house bad enough to put them into a situation that's going to fail. My girls and I have some rules. We're working on moving it just a little bit. But right now it's 30. And what they need to know for sure and never forget is I know people. I've got people everywhere. I know. I know people everywhere. So when some hairy-legged Fruit Loop tries to lock lips with one of my daughters, you can mute the cameras for a second. I have lots of guns. But if you're watching on camera, I just lost all of my guns and ammo in a boat accident last week. I don't, 
They're all gone. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Listen to what I'm telling you, moms and dads. We got to slow the roll down a little bit. Yes. Take some pressure off of our kids. Yes. Say, pursue God. Yes. Pursue God. Fall in love with God. Yes. Fall in love with truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? My Lord, I got distracted. I got to get moving. But understand me. It was pressure from parents. We talk about all this Jezebel all you want to. Jezebel was invited. Because Jezebel is always empowered by an Ahab. Woo. There will never be a Jezebel spirit functioning by what there's not some pouting, thumb-sucking Ahab. That gives her the power to manipulate. I could break down right now for you 20, 30, 40 different signs of a Jezebel spirit. Because again, it's not just the woman, it's a spirit. It's functioning in the woman Jezebel and it's likened to her in the book of Revelation. Because it's a spirit that's empowered by an Ahab. That was so desperate for peace. He connected himself to that on the word of his father. And now the kingdom is ruled by a double-minded man. Because when Jezebel came into the kingdom, she brought the idols of her father into the kingdom. And he had to say, okay. Because eventually you get to the place where I guess there's going to be peace in my home, then I'll just have to stay home. I'm going to get up here where I can hide. It's a compromising spirit. I, I know people don't believe this. And please understand, this is no reflection on my wife. I'm telling you all the truth. Marriage is the hardest work you'll ever do outside of staying saved. It really is. It, you got to work every day. It's not like 50-50. It's... My God. I heard a couple voices of experience. I was going to give her, it's hard work. And every problem that there is premarital problem, it intensifies by a thousand times when you get in that union. I got me a good woman, a real good woman and good looking. But there's been days in our marriage that pretty is not what got us through. It has to be that you find the common ground to say, hey, look, we're going to be apostolic. We're going to be holy. It don't matter who invites us into their group, who invites us to preach on TV, who invites us to come connect with their group. Look, we're going to be what we are. And we're going to be that together. But you can't do that. You can't wrestle against the world when you're having to wrestle against the spirit of the world in your house. Something has to happen, and if there's going to be a compromise, don't let it be before you enter into that. So, I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm still telling you, this vineyard ain't for sale. So what happens is we get young people that are desperate, and they don't, they don't want to marry the wrong person, so they make temporary decisions 
that cause permanent circumstances and they get themselves stuck. And now we're dealing with a Jezebel spirit that was invited. And I'm going to show you all how this happens, okay? Read it for yourself. I'm in like fast forward mode. Is everybody with me? Anybody ready to just lay over and go to sleep right now? Everybody doing okay? I want to show you how Jezebel works. She comes in. She says, what's wrong with you? It's like, boo-boo won't let me have his vineyard. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're sad. Listen to what she says. She says, you just get you some bread, sweetheart. I'll give you the vineyard. How do you have authority to give the vineyard? Read the story for yourself. She sends a letter. Ahab's empowering this. She sends a letter, signs Ahab's name, and puts his seal on the letter. Do you see what just happened right there? Spirit of authority and alignment gets out of whack. Can I take you to a garden? Where a woman is dealing with a man that was somewhat emasculated or something? Because she should have never, Eve should have never had that conversation with the serpent. It should have been the man of the house that said, you don't have dominion in this, so get out. But he allows his wife to walk over there because he was in the lazy boy and she was doing the spiritual warfare. And if you're not careful... She'll start signing things for you as official business for the kingdom. Oh, God. Boy, I'm telling you, I, I was doing pretty good, Brother Hanson. I was rowing. Now I feel like I'm in mud while I'm rowing the boat. It's like. <laughs> How you going to get it? I'm going to take your authority. You think I'm doing this for you. But I'm going to take your authority and I'm going to take your name and I'm going to take your ring. I'm going to put your wax signet on it and I'm going to send a letter in your name. And we're going to get this vineyard. And if he don't like it, then we'll kill him. And so then comes the spirit of lies. You ever met somebody that was so good at it? Don't, please don't raise your hand. Don't even nod. Don't do nothing. It's amazing to me. I know some people got to get tired of trying to keep all that straight. After a while, I'm like, dude, sooner or later, you're going to double cross yourself. Because ain't nobody that good. But what happens is, in order to cover up the lie... Innocent people that have stood their ground have to be slain. Man, I just preached a trench deep right there. The only person that can uncover this lie, we're just going to kill them and then we're going to take what's theirs. But there's a spirit of Naboth that's coming on this generation that says, if you want this vineyard, you're going to have to take it over my dead body. I'm telling you, you can lie on me. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to take this vineyard, I won't be alive to see it. I, 
I'm not trying to be goofy here. Understand me when I tell you. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound tough or be goofy, but somebody asked me the other day, they said, so do you, do you think we'll ever see a day where they go to house to house and take weapons? I said, I don't know. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to defend my family. They said, well, what if, what if they get to your wife and kids? I said, I'll never see it. What do you mean? I mean, they're going to have to kill me to get to my family. And I feel the same way about the church. If, if you want the church, you're going to have to come get it. We're going to stand our ground because he's coming back for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. I'm afraid that we're going to let a manipulative spirit cause us to be so afraid that we start handing over titles and deeds. Not in your life, friend. I fell in love with this truth. I thank God for this truth. And I'm not selling it. I bought it and it's not for sale. Pastor, do you think we'll ever see the day that they'll... Have armed guards that won't let us have church. Some of you may. But I probably won't. Because God didn't just put me in this church to preach cute little sermons. I'm standing here tonight to tell you as the watchman on the wall. That until the coming of the Lord or I quit breathing. We're open for business. We're going to have revival. We're going to have a move of God. We're going to tear down strongholds. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. And there needs to be a voice in a lighthouse that's always climbing and always reaching and always preaching. I don't know, Pastor. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Listen, I've got friends that have had to hide while they're baptizing people. In other countries where it's illegal to baptize, I've had to hide. I've, I have personally baptized Muslim people in Jesus' name in the Middle East that if their family found out that they were baptized... They'd kill them on the spot. And we're going to talk about how tough we've had it. I won't call his name, but we've got a, we've got a missionary that's not too far from China that's been with, uh, been, we've supported and been with for many, 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 many years. Went into mainland China and took a group of people swimming in the river. In Jesus' name. Ooh, watch this. How long can you hold your breath? They said, what, well, what'd you do? what'd you do if they came walking by? I said, we turned our backs. I guess so you don't see it coming if they're going to sling it at you. You understand what I'm saying? 
The 21st century church, can I just be real? I'm quitting. I'm, I'm almost done. i got to quit. I've been here too long already. Listen. The 21st century church cannot afford to be weak, anemic, feeble in our approach. And we can't just fight and win this battle two days a week. We're going to have to get up every single day, put on the armor of God. Woo! You are not just saints called to sit on pews. You're an army. You are children of God. You got to get up every day. Fight off the devil. Fight off your flesh. Fight off compromise. Fight off Jezebel. And let's have revival. Let's stand together.